That's Chat is brought to you by Walters. Experience the UEFA Champions League final like never before at Walters Sports Bar. Join Walters this Saturday at 3 p.m. as Walters will broadcast the thrilling clash between Manchester City and Inter Milan with one of the largest TVs in D.C. measuring at over 200 inches. You'll be immersed in every exhilarating moment. Take your pick of seating options both inside and outside and enjoy the match with top-notch sound and unparalleled visuals. See you at Walters Sports Bar for an unforgettable Champions League final experience. Registrants will receive a free $5 beer wall card. Visit waltersdc.com slash events. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Now the pitch. Swing and a line drive to the left field line. That's a base hit. It will roll into the corner and chased by Corey Dickerson. And two runs will score. Longoria digs in the first pitch. This line toward the left field corner. This could be trouble. It's down for a base hit all the way to the fence. Carroll digging for third. He's being waved in. Dickerson's throw is going to be cut off. There is no play. It's an RBI double for Evan Longoria. And an insurance run for the Diamondbacks. They lead it 4-2. to two. Pitch swung on in high in the air to left center field. This is way back. This ball is going, going, and gone. Goodbye into the Arizona bullpen for an opposite field two-run homer to left center field. And welcome to Nat Chat for Thursday, June 8, 2023. What is the 13th anniversary of the Steven Strasburg Major League debut, along with MassInSports.com? Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman was at Nationals Park. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. So the Nats now have lost seven of their last nine games and now are a season worst 11 games below 500. A 6-2 loss to the Arizona Diamondbacks in Nationals Park on Wednesday night in game two of a three-game series. The Nats now are 25-36. and The Diamondbacks now have a two-game lead on the Los Angeles Dodgers atop the National League West. The Nats on Wednesday designated for assignment a reliever for a second consecutive day. The Nats on Wednesday night saw one of the relievers replacing one of the DFA'd relievers give up a two-run homer. And the Nats on Wednesday night had three relievers combined to allow three runs in three innings. Mark, if you knew nothing else and just heard those three things, I feel like those three things pretty well sum up the state of this Nats bullpen right now. Yeah, and unfortunately, Al, this has been a trend going on for a little while. And this team was feeling pretty good about itself about two weeks ago. 10 days ago, it has reversed since then. They're facing tougher competition. I think you're seeing that show up. I think you're seeing the difference in that. 
And it's not going to get any easier because after Thursday's finale against the Diamondbacks, they're going on the road to Atlanta and Houston. So good luck with that. They've got to start playing better. They've got to get better starting pitching. They've got to hit more consistently. And they've got to just come through with a clean bullpen game at some point. They were set up in this one as well as they've been in a while. They had all top three of their guys rested, fresh, get one inning out of each of them. And instead, Carl Edwards gave up a run and then they were down. And so David didn't even feel the need to go to Finnegan or Harvey. And that was tough. That was a very nondescript game that they really did not have much going on in that game. That's the first time in a while I felt that way. It was a game that reeked of the 2022 Nats, reeked of the 2021 Nats in a lot of ways. And I think what's really standing out is every game now, the Nats are giving up a lot of runs. I mean, you just look at this stretch of seven losses in nine games. The Nats during the stretch have allowed three runs, six runs, nine runs, six runs, seven runs, four runs, 11 runs, 10 runs, and now six runs. A lot of big run totals for opposing teams. And game in, game out, you're having to score five, six, seven runs to even be in the game, let alone win the game. And while this offense does have its positives, and you know there have been some good games for this offense, this offense is not equipped for that. This is not a team that is built, you know, to win softball type games. I mean, this is an offense that you know on a good day can put up say four or five runs, and you win a game that way. Lately, the run prevention just has not been there. The starting pitching has come back down to earth, but of course, the bullpen just really is unraveling. And I feel like the Jordan Weems thing just perfectly captures everything. And not to pick on Jordan Weems, but I mean, here you have the Nats on Wednesday designating Erasmo Ramirez for assignment. Second consecutive day, the Nats designated a reliever for assignment, designated Andres Machado on Tuesday. And the Nats, as the corresponding roster moved to Machado, recalled Jordan Weems from AAA Rochester. And here we had Weems on Wednesday night in the top of the ninth, allowing two runs in his return from Rochester. Like, just like that, Weems gives up a leadoff single by Cattell Marte, then gives up a two-run opposite field homer by Corbin Carroll to put the Diamondbacks up 6-2. And we've talked about this. Like, who are you going to go to? What, realistically, are Davey Martinez's options? And I feel like that perfectly captures where the Nats are at right now. Right. If anybody thought that these moves over the last two days were going to have a dramatic impact on things, you're probably mistaken. You haven't necessarily been paying that close of attention. This was dropping a couple of guys who've been struggling and calling up a couple of guys who have had a few moments up here, but certainly not with any consistency and not a whole lot of reason to think that it would be dramatically better. Really, for this team to win, they need good starting pitching that takes them deep into the game. They need the lineup to give them a lead. And then you hope that the big three at the end are having one of their good nights. That's been the formula that's on occasion worked for them. Right now, they're not even getting to that point. Their starters are digging them into a hole. The lineup isn't doing a whole lot. And then they were lingering around all night. It was three to two for a good long while. You thought, okay, you can somehow get some clean bullpen work. You're going to have a chance at least late in this game. And what happens? Edwards gives up the run. Thompson had a clean inning, and then Weems really put it out of reach with those two runs in the ninth. And it's just it's a demoralizing feeling. You just would like on one night for there to be nothing but zeros up there in the late innings and at least give your lineup a shot at putting something together late. They really didn't even have a chance at that tonight. I think this is also telling. So I mentioned the Nats on Tuesday designating Andres Machado for assignment. The Nats on Wednesday afternoon announced that Machado had cleared waivers and been assigned to AAA Rochester. How many times in recent years have we seen that? The Nats DFA a guy and he clears waivers. You know, that's always a sneaky, good way 
of evaluating your roster talent. What do other teams think of your guys? I mean, here you had Machado, DFA'd. He's dangling out there for anyone to pick up, and everyone else says, nah, we're good. We don't need him. It's going to be interesting to see what happens with Erasmo Ramirez off him being DFA'd. But I think that that's telling, that a guy like Machado makes it through waivers like that. I think the other telling part of it is that Machado, because he had been DFA'd over the winter and outright to the minors, because that had happened to him before, he had the right to become a free agent, to not accept the assignment to AAA. He chose to accept the assignment to AAA. I think that tells you some things as well, that being he probably knew or his agent knew that there wasn't going to be a whole lot of interest in him from elsewhere and that his best option was actually to stay in the organization, go to AAA and hope that there's another call up at some point. And I would not be surprised if they did call him up again at some point the way that things have been working around here. I'm not certain there's going to be a lot of interest in Erasmo Ramirez. You hope for his sake that he does get another chance, whether it's somewhere else or maybe he does go AAA also, and maybe we see him again before it's all said and done. But I agree. You can tell a lot about these things. And too often in the last few years, I think we've seen the Nationals hang on to some guys for too long. I don't think that was the case in in either of these situations, but we have seen them hang on to somebody who was out of options, worried they might lose them, only to find out in the end, no, nobody else actually wanted them and they stayed in the organization. And Erasmo Ramirez really is just the latest great example of how these relievers are year to year. I mean, he was excellent for the Nats last year, an ERA under three and 86 plus innings of work. He was the uh, Nats pitcher of the year as selected by you guys. And here we are a year later and the guy gets DFA'd before the middle of June. Like think about that discrepancy from one year to the next. It just shows you these relievers are fickle and you just cannot trust them season to season. And, uh, the tale of Erasmo Ramirez certainly captures that. So we talked about Jordan Weems. You mentioned Coral Edwards Jr. He on Wednesday night in the top of the seventh gave up a run on a leadoff single by Corbin Carroll, who, by the way, just killed the Nats in this game, and a two-out first pitch RBI double by Evan Longoria. We did, though, see a perfect top of the eighth for Mason Thompson. We are like a starving person searching for breadcrumbs right now. Any reason for any kind of optimism with this Nats bullpen. We talked about this on the previous show. Wouldn't it be lovely if the Mason Thompson of earlier this season reappeared? Well, that was something, and that was a good thing for Mason Thompson on Wednesday night. It was. Maybe we're grasping at some straws here, but that was a very positive development. Not just a 1-2-3 inning, but a 1-2-3 inning where the ball didn't get out of the infield, a couple of ground balls, a pop-up, and 10 pitches, seven strikes. When Mason was at his best in April, he was pounding the strike zone with regularity, low pitch counts, not putting guys on base. That's what he looked like in this one. Now, he had one a couple weeks ago, I think it was in Kansas City, a two inning appearance that was really good. And you thought, okay, maybe there it is. He's figured it out again. And then of course he didn't. So I'm not jumping to any conclusions on this one. You need to see it again and then probably again after that. But if you're looking for any silver lining out of this game, that's probably the biggest one. If that was a sign of him getting something back and feeling good again, that could actually pay off some dividends down the road. Well, the Nats starting pitcher on Wednesday night was the former Diamondback, Patrick Corbin. And what an odd outing he ended up having. So he ultimately had another quality start. This was actually his seventh quality start over the last 10 starts. He allowed three runs in six innings. He did this despite allowing three runs in the top of the first, and despite giving up 11 hits, three doubles, and eight singles. Corbin had four strikeouts versus one walk. He threw 98 pitches, 61 strikes versus 37 balls. But that top of the first was something. I mean, this game got off to a nightmare of a start 
for Corbin. He, in that top of the first, allowed three runs on three doubles, a bunt single, and a stolen base. Gave up a leadoff first pitch opposite field double by Cattell Marte to the right center field gap. Gave up a first pitch bunt single by Corbin Carroll toward first base. We then had a stolen base by Carroll. Corbin then gave up a two-run double by Emmanuel Rivera to left field for a 2-0 Diamondbacks lead. And Corbin then gave up a one-out full count RBI double by Evan Longoria to left field for a 3-0 Diamondbacks lead. This reeked of, you know, one of these blow-up starts from Patrick Corbin, the likes of which we've seen so often these last few years. But then Corbin went out there and tossed scoreless second, third, fourth, fifth, and six innings. This really was something. This was a tale of two outings for Corbin. What'd you make of what he did and how he did what he did? Well, this is the second straight time this has happened to him. Remember, it happened at Dodger Stadium, real quick, three nothing, and then he managed to get through five and gave him a chance. And so that is a significant improvement from last year because last year he wouldn't have even made it out of the first or he would have stayed in for a couple innings and kept giving up hits, kept giving up runs along the way. So good on him for being able to muddle his way through that and still emerge with a technical quality start there. Now that said, they were all over him in that first inning. They were attacking him first pitch, two batters, two pitches, two guys on base. They knew he was going to throw fastballs, try to get ahead in the count. So he's got to start being less predictable than that. If it means throwing a first pitch slider, I guess you got to do that to start the game. So it begins with that. And then, look, he still gave up 11 hits in six innings. There was a lot of contact, a lot of good contact off him. And I think he was pretty fortunate to come out of this with only three runs. If he had shut them down the rest of the way, you know, two hits, three hits, low pitch count, no real scary situations along the way, I think I would read a little more into it. But the Diamondbacks had 14 at-bats with runners in scoring position off Corbin over six innings. They only went three for 14. That's why they only scored the three runs. They were consistently one hit away from blowing that thing open. So good on him for making the pitches when he had to and getting out of it. But I felt like he was very fortunate that this thing didn't blow up on him. It easily could have at a number of different points within that game. It's funny with Corbin because it feels like he's been appreciably better this season as compared to the last few seasons. And in some ways, I guess he has But when you look at his numbers for this season, 13 starts, his ERA is 489. I mean, his ERA is nearly five, and the whip is at 152. Like, those are still really bad numbers. Now, they're better than what we saw, say, last season, ERA a 631, whip a 170. But, I mean, it really does illustrate how far the bar has dropped. And I found it almost comical that Davey Martinez in his postgame press conference on Wednesday night acknowledged that Corbin gives up a lot of hits. He does. And that's one of the things that has really stuck out these last few seasons. Like when you itemize what has gone into the decline of Patrick Corbin, there's a lot to talk about. But one of the things that immediately like slaps you across the face is how many hits this guy has given up. He does not have swing and miss stuff. People make contact off him and he really is at the mercy of the variance of the batted ball in so many of these outings. And, you know, we certainly saw that here on Wednesday night. I mean, that is rare. You escape with three runs in six innings in a game in which you give up 11 hits like that. That is uh, not something you see often. Yeah. Ever since 2020, he gives up more than 10 hits per nine innings. Prior to that, he was in the sevens. The walk rate's actually gone down. It's at 2.4 per nine innings this year. So he's not having trouble throwing strikes. If anything, he's throwing too many strikes, but they're not quality strikes. And you talk about a lack of swing and misses. He's only struck out 5.6 per nine this year. That is abysmally low 
for a starting pitcher in today's game and about half of where he was. In his final year with the Dimebacks, 2018, he was at 11.1 and then at 10.6 in 2019 with the Nationals. He was such a good pitcher for those few years because swing and miss, strikeout pitcher. He is not that guy anymore. And so, yeah, his only hope is to get weak contact and hope that his defense behind him makes the plays. And there were a few little bloopers and grounders where guys weren't playing tonight. But really, there was a lot of good, solid contact as well. And I don't care. You give 11 hits in six innings. It's hard to think of that as a quote-unquote quality start. And the context of the decline in the strikeout rate matters. And you just alluded to this. But this is an environment in which guys strike out all of the time. Like The strikeout rates of today are so much higher than the strikeout rates of 20, 30, 40 years ago. So like, yeah, you can look at someone from 30 years ago. You can look at a Tom Glavin and not be overwhelmed by his strikeout numbers. But that was a different Major League Baseball. In today's game, if you're not averaging, say, a strikeout per inning, there's something a little off. I mean, ideally, you want a guy doing that, and Corbin isn't close to doing that, and that is a problem. Hey, are you a law firm partner stuck on an underperforming team while the rest of the competitors are spending big and winning big? Well, unlike Mackenzie Gore and Capert Ruiz, you have options. You don't have to stay on your 60-win team. Nat's chat sponsor, Mason Kalfis, and his team specialize in placing partners and associates at medium-sized and large law firms in Washington, D.C. and across the country. Mason Kalfas has recruiters in six states and has placed lawyers in more than half of the 100 largest law firms in the United States. While you may be reading doom and gloom from the legal press, many practices are red-hot antitrust, IP litigation, white-collar litigation, finance and direct lending, and healthcare. Because you are not under a CBA or team control for six years, in fact, staying at a firm too long is often a recipe for being underpaid. Explore your options today with Mason Kalfas. Call Mason today at 202-486-3535. That number again, 202-486-3535. Getting tickets to sporting events has changed from the old days. There are more options than ever before, but game time stands out above the rest. If you need last-minute tickets to the ballpark or any other local sporting event, visit gametime.co. They even have options to purchase parking. It's the fastest-growing ticketing app in the country for a reason. Get images of your seat before you buy so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. Snag the tickets without the stress with GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code NATSCHAT for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code NATSCHAT for $20 off. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. Well, we all know what summer means. Uh, Summer means baseball. Summer usually means more home runs in baseball, but uh, summer also means heat and humidity and your energy bills being rather high due to your air conditioning working extra innings. It is time to beat the heat with Window Nation's summer sale. Save thousands of dollars with an outstanding offer. No money down, no payments, and no interest for two years plus Window Nation will give you two free windows for every two windows 
that you buy. All you have to do is call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com and tell Window Nation that you want the deal that you heard about from Al Galdi on the Nats Chat podcast. Increase the value of your home by up to $12,000. Hey, make your neighbors jealous. Who doesn't want to do that? Again, the Window Nation summer sale. No money down, no payments, and no interest for two years, plus two free windows for every two windows that you buy. And this goes for any style of window from Window Nation. 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com. That's 866-90-NATION or windownation.com. And make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Now the set, the 1-0. Swing a ground ball, first base side. Lunging stop by Walker. He underhands the ball to Davies, but Garcia beats the play at first. He's safe, and a run will score. Good hustle by Garcia. It's now the Diamondbacks 3, the Nationals 1. That'll be an infield hit and an RBI. Scoring call and moving Thomas to third. Well, the Nats' offense on Wednesday night was a problem. The Nats scored just two runs, uh, totaled just seven hits, worked just one walk. Six of the seven hits were singles. Uh, Both of the Nats' runs came in the bottom of the third. Luis Garcia in that bottom of the third had an RBI infield single toward first base to cut the Nats' deficit to 3-1. And then the other Nats' run scored on a double play. And, uh, well, that was about it for the Nats' offense in this game. Joey Manessis did get on base three times. Uh, He went two for three with two singles and a walk. Dominic Smith had a multi-hit game. He had two, what else, singles, uh, two for four with a couple of singles. And I do want to, again, salute Lane Thomas. So he had the Nats' lone extra base hit in this game. He went one for four with a double, but another outfield assist. Top of the fifth. And a swing and a line drive hit hard to right. And to his right is Thomas. It's off his glove, knocks it down. Carroll's going to try for second. Thomas with the throw. It's going to be close. He is he is out at second base. What was so interesting about this play is that Thomas didn't even feel the ball cleanly, and yet he still gunned down Carroll. Although I guess you could say Thomas not fielding the ball cleanly was part of why Carroll tried to stretch the single into a double. But six outfield assists now for Lane Thomas this season tied for the league among all the National League outfielders, so that's been good. He had another throw later in the game, fired a perfect strike to third base to prevent a runner from even trying to take the extra base. That's become a real weapon out there for them. And I know he's had a few instances where he hasn't been perfect. He's had some offline throws or some ill-advised throws, but right now it feels like he's back in a good place with that. And that, again, helped bail Patrick Corbin out because that was another situation where an inning could have gotten out of hand and all those hits that Corbin gave up could have come back to haunt him. So 
that's been a nice thing to see for Lane Thomas to be a legitimate threat out there in the outfield and to continue to hit. He just missed a homer on that uh, third inning double. It would have been back-to-back nights with home runs for him. He also had a line out in the eighth inning. He has stepped it up in a way that I don't know if we knew he had in him to do this consistently over a long stretch of time now. Remember, we said, oh, well, he was having a great May, but how would it you know, continue? He's keeping it up, and that's a great sign that he can be a part of this thing and isn't just some kind of flash in the pan who has a nice few weeks here or there. He is consistently producing for them at the plate and in the field. So I was thinking about this. I think tracking these Lane Thomas outfield assists is going to be kind of a fun thing throughout this season. And I was trying to think about other big outfield assist seasons for Nationals players. And the one that immediately came to mind was Rick Ankiel in 2011. What do you consider, just off the top of your head, what is like the number one outfield assist season or player in Nationals history who strikes you? Because it seems to me Lane Thomas could end up with double-digit outfield assists this season, which is not something you see often. So the actual one, I believe it's the club record, and you're not going to believe it when I tell you this, and I'm going to look it up as I'm typing it to get the exact number. It was Alfonso Soriano in 2006. And the reason was he was a first-time outfielder and everybody ran on him. And so I don't know what his percentage was of throwing guys out, but that season he had 23 outfield assists, which is insane for that to be the case. Now, I'm not going to suggest that that's you know anything that we can uh, expect from Lane Thomas, but I don't think teams are going to run on him to that extent. Yeah, Rick Ankiel is the best just pure outfield arm they've had. Amazing story itself, given his background as a pitcher. The guy, for some reason, could throw a strike from 300 feet away, but could not do it from 60 feet, six inches away. That's a whole other story. I think what Lane is doing is going to put him in, in the conversation, though, for really one of the best seasons by Nationals outfielder in terms of throwing. And it's not like, you know, Bryce Harper could wow you with his arm at times, but he could also throw it all over the place. And that was more style than substance often. I feel like with Lane, it's a little more substance to it. I feel like he knows what he's doing. It's mostly smart throws. That throw in this game was like a perfect little one hopper to second base and a nice play by Abrams to make the tag. But that's one of those, like, even when he lets go of the ball, you don't actually think he's going to throw him out. And then you realize, oh, wow, he really did. Those are the ones that stand out to me. It's not the easy ones when a guy is waved around third and you already have the ball in your hand at that point. I mean, these are the tough ones where you're getting a good base runner, throwing him out at second on trying to stretch a hit into a double. And so that's why I do think if he keeps it up, yeah, he could be in the conversation for one of the better seasons they've had. And if you're talking about who's your Nationals all-star for this year, the defense is a component here. Like, it's not just his hitting. He's got an OPS of around 800, but it's the fact that this guy's been one of the best outfielders in baseball this season in terms of the outfield assists. So Mark mentioned C.J. Abrams, another rough game for him offensively, 0 for 4 with a couple of strikeouts. Riley Adams, who had been playing really well in uh, spotty playing time, he had a rough night on Wednesday night, 0 for 4 with four strikeouts. Interesting to see Riley get the start in game two of a series like this. I know you wrote about that prior to the game, but Davey actually likes what Riley has going on with Patrick Corbin right now. So it was a combination of him and Corbin. And, and maybe after that rough first inning, there was some of that. And you look at their career numbers, Corbin has a sub four ERA pitching to Riley Adams over their career. So maybe there's something to that. The odd thing is that Davey also liked the matchup of Adams versus Zach Davies. Obviously, that did not work out at all. But he felt like if Adams was going to catch one of these two games to end the series, 
this was a better matchup for him and then Cabert Ruiz on Thursday. But I joked with Riley before the game and said, do you remember the last time you started a night game? Because it feels like all he does is start series finales, which are usually matinees. And he thought about it and says, I think it's Colorado. And sure enough, April 8th at Coors Field is the last time that Riley Adams had started a night game. How about that? He does not like staying up late, I guess. That's not his uh, <laughs> That's not his usual thing. Yeah, I mean, it just was odd to see that. We're used to seeing it on a day game. I mean, I fully anticipated seeing that on Thursday afternoon. But, you know, if you're Davey, you flip-flop that, you know, you can go ahead and do that. What do you think about C.J. Abrams, though, right now? It's been a rough go of it. Obviously, you got to keep putting them out there. You hope that the Abrams of September is appreciably better than the Abrams of June, but it's been rough here. There just isn't a lot happening with him offensively right now. Not consistently. You know, he'll come through with a big hit late in the game at times, and we've detailed those when it happens, and that's great, but it's not happening day in and day out. I know one of those strikeouts in this game, it was a bad strike three call below the knees, but look at the hole at bat. He swung at two pitches that were nowhere close to the zone as well. In that. So it feels like at times he's not going up there with a real secure plan of what he's trying to do. He chases a lot. Is he trying to hit the high fastball? Is he trying to get the ball down the zone to make contact? There's still a lot of work there to be done. And, you know, I get it. He's a rookie. We've talked about this both offensively and defensively. There are going to be peaks and valleys. You hope that by the end of the year, things are more consistently good than bad. But at the moment, it hasn't been that great to watch. And aside from a couple of clutch hits late in games, he really hasn't done a lot at the plate lately. You have to keep putting him out there. I mean, first of all, it's not like you have, you know, an obvious better option. But yeah, I think what's aggravating is that you'd like to see progress. You'd like to see more. You know, I feel like with Cabot Ruiz, it can get frustrating offensively, but you do see stretches in which he hits well. Certainly with Luis Garcia, you see big games, big stretches, With Abrams, we really haven't seen that. Now, he's had some hits with runners in scoring position, so that's been good. But it just, I don't know, it feels like a lot of his hits are like infield singles. He gets hit by pitches. He's kind of got a Victor Robles-like quality to his offense, and you just want to see that change. So, you know, we're all impatient. We want everything yesterday, okay? But yeah, I mean, it does stand out. Game in, game out. There just isn't much happening. And, you know, we talked a few weeks ago about, hey, maybe Abrams gets bumped up in the lineup at some point. I think Davey Martinez has been proven right to continue to have Abrams batting in that number eight or number nine spot. He just hasn't done much to warrant being elevated in the lineup. No, he hasn't. And this is why you wait to see a guy have success before you bump him up. Now, not that long ago, the OPS was up around 700. It's back down to 662. So that's not great. But again, let's remember how little minor league experience he had. He's still very young and inexperienced from a baseball standpoint, professional baseball standpoint. So there will be growing pains. Like you said, the key, when you get to the end of the season, can you say he showed real improvement from opening day to game 162? That'll be the sign, understanding that it may not be a straight line from one to the other, but you hope that it is ultimately an upward trend from April to September. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, natschatpodcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to sponsor the show, we'd love to have you on board. Email Tim Schober, see what we can do for you. That email address is natschatpodcast at gmail.com. We have a new website that you can check out, natschatpodcast.com. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. A thank you to Tim Newmark for the Nats Chat Podcast music. Visit timnewmark.com. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. Here's the pitch. Swing and a miss at a breaking ball. 
with a chance of let's go Strasburg. Let's go Strasburg before the pitch. Listen to this Nationals Park crowd. Two outs, top of the seventh. No balls, two strikes. The line, the kick, and the pitch. Swing and a miss. 14 strikeouts. Seven in a row. Unbelievable. That may be all for the night. And they are saluting their new hero here in D.C. There's a new mayor in town, Dave. He won the election in one night. 14 strikeouts. Wow. As advertised, better than that. They want a curtain call. You almost don't want to go to break. Unbelievable. Seventh inning stretch. Our score. Nationals, four. Pirates, two.